is all about the adventures that Danielle and I have as dance teachers and choreographers living here in New York City. We'll be sharing our experiences in all the ridiculous and hilarious truths. With that being said, let's get into today's topic. Picking the right studio for your child. Yeah. So as we get into summer and as, I feel like we say this every single episode recently, as things start to reopen more and more. Right. Um, but. Um, I thought it might be a really interesting idea. Something we've never discussed before is how do you, as a parent of a young child, a young dancer, choose a studio? So, you know, you're, you want to put your young child in dance. They don't currently take dance. How do you choose a studio that um, will be the right one, the right fit, beneficial to them as a dancer, as a child, social, emotionally, you know, their well-being? Um, and hopefully a place that they can call home for, you know, the 10 to, you know, 12 years or so. Yeah. I, I love this topic just because one, my niece is three and she's at a studio. So I just thought it was, I, and me and Danielle have such a connection to this topic that I just thought it'd be a perfect topic for us. Yeah, absolutely. People don't realize that like studio registrations always happen in like July or sooner, depending on where you live in the country or the world. But I know like, for the Northeast, it's usually July, and then you start in September when school starts. Yep. And so now is the perfect time to kind of talk about it. I also feel like I have had over the past year or like few years, like I've had a lot of friends or old coworkers or friends of friends like have babies. And I'm thinking about like their little kids and like, you know, like some of them are, you know, some of them are getting ready to the age where it's like you would put them in like dance and extracurriculars. You know, it's it's just like, how do you choose like a school? You know, I, I know like yes. schools you're like zoned for and whatever, right? But like, how do you choose a neighborhood when you look at schooling? Like choosing where you send your child to dance, especially if this ends up being a place where they basically grow up in is is important. So we're going to break it down. Before we jump in, I just wanted to kind of like preface that you can 120% start dance at any age. Tony has talked about experiences starting in high school. Misty Copeland did not start dancing until she was like 13. I mean, she's a prodigy, but still. There are so many examples of like, you do not have to start dancing at three years old. But for the sake of this episode, we are going to be focusing on those young dancers who are probably about like three to seven and going to their first class. So to start, at first, she's absolutely right. Totally. To start, let's talk about age. So I am a huge proponent of starting, uh, I shouldn't say starting young, start dancing at any age. Three is the absolute youngest. My preference is four or five though but three is the absolute youngest. If your child is under the age of three, I don't know if I would trust a studio that would take anyone under three. Yeah, I was two and a half, but I turned three and I have like zero recollection of like my, my first you know, few years in dance. Well, uh, and that's just, there is some evidence that you do, re- that some people do retain from like three at starting at age three, but like, Motor skills and development, and again, me and Danielle, we teach elementary school level. We can do a whole dissertation on this. Like, 
you're not really retaining and remembering until like age five. And sometimes that's still pretty spotty. Yeah. You know, as far as mo- motor skills, we're still trying to walk and run yeah. at five. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, right now, the youngest kids I teach are usually like four and a half and they turn five, like during the year. Um, most of them are usually five when I get them. And I'm like, some of their motor skills are like rough because yeah, gross motor skills, like don't fully develop until about six. In some cases, some kids will not fully develop their gross motor skills until eight years old. Um, and so like, I know I was put in very young and I know a lot of people do it. I think it just depends. I think, you know, also like as a parent, like if your kid is walking young and is good at that, like maybe sure, go ahead. But I do think that like the school age is smart, right? Like around like four and a half, five, you know, five, like starting kindergarten. That's like a good, that's a good time. Mm -hmm. I, I would definitely agree. And it's also one of those things of like, you know, your child. Like my niece is three and she's in ballet right now. But we also, like, I know my niece, her motor skills are exceptionally high because she spends half her time with her eight-year-old brother, especially after this year of pandemic. She's been locked away with an eight-year-old. So like her motor skills jumped very quickly. So it's not bothering me, even though I say right now, I would still prefer four to five. It doesn't bother me that she started at three. I think she'll be perfectly fine. Um, so, but age is a factor. Also, how the studio groups the kids in their age group also might matter to you because some parents are very adamant about three-year-olds being with three-year-olds or five-year-olds being with five-year-olds or six-year-olds. Like some, in most studios, they base it off of the skill. If they're smart, it's based off the motor skill level, the the motor skills and talent of the kids and like where, where they need to be. But some studios purely based off of numbers will have weird groupings sometimes. And then if you are a parent that that matters to you, you should look into that. You should ask that question when you're going in and looking at a studio or taking a sample class. Like how is the, how old is the oldest kid that's going to be in the class with them? How old is the youngest kid? Because if you know your child sits closer to one way age or another or feels older or younger than another that might matter to you to some yeah. parents it doesn't so yeah kind of to play that and i like agree it. too you know like some depending on like where you live in the studio like some classes might group like five to seven year olds together um five to seven is okay you know i'm thinking in terms of like i teach at an elementary school i don't love it Because there's definitely a difference too. And also like, is it five to seven or is it like kindergartners and first graders? Because there's a difference there. Because if you have a five-year-old who's in kindergarten and a seven-year-old who's in second grade, I don't love that. Um, Personally, I'm I'm not a parent right now, but being a um, elementary school dance teacher, I I don't love that. Mm-hmm. So again, like like you just said, Tony, like it's definitely parent personal preference, but I think that it's a super important thing to ask the studio and to know yes. about so you can make an informed decision. How are they grouping kids younger? Because they're not going to group kids based on scale younger. They'll either group it in a larger age group or they'll do it where it's like three and four or like, you know, like anyone in kindergarten takes these classes. So like, I just think personal preference but definitely get your facts straight. Absolutely. So our next one that we have to bring up is, and this is really before we even kind of get to the studio itself, more the kids in the studios. 
we have to talk about obligation and the culture at studios. Mm-hmm. So at, when you, and this always happens because my I remember my parents talking about this in between us, like doing sports and arts and things like that. My parents were always like, we will be at every event you have, but you, we're not coming before or after. Like, no, that's just not us. Your obligation to the studio of how much you want to give or don't want to give might matter what studio you go to, because there are some studios that require parents to, and in particular when you have very young kids, but there are some studios that require parents to be on site. Like I know I've taught um, my, like we call them our juniors. Juniors were like seven. It was two different classes. It was like seven, age seven and under. We had to have a parent on site at all times. So like there had to be a parent or guardian on site at all times. And for some, we lost parents because they were like, oh, I definitely want to drop off my kid and then leave. And our student was just like, no, they're too young. And you might feel differently about a six or seven year old that way. And mm-hmm. we played it by ear, but it's like, I, I personally love that rule because I had one little kid, she would have a tantrum if she didn't see her mom. Granted, moms would be on the other side, like one of our walls was like uh, all glass and the moms could sit and be in their own little world out there in the hallway, but they could look up, the child could see them, they could see the child, everyone was good. So even if they'd have a panic attack, mom's right there, she could still see you, mom would wave and then they'd go back to class. So I personally like that, but like studio obligations can get very, very cumbersome to adults that aren't prepared for it. And I think the the one about the younger kids in classes makes a great point. I don't know what my mom's obligation was to the first studio I went to when I was really young. I know I was very shy and would sometimes like be like, where's my mom? And I don't know if like, I have a feeling my mom probably just stayed. I don't know if it was um, obligatory or if she just did it mm-hmm. because I think the classes were like, you know, when I was three, I think they were like half hour classes. So like, where was she going to go? You know? And I do remember though, I think as we got a little bit older, it would be like almost like a class, like a class parent quote unquote type situation where like each week, like a parent of the studio class would like swap yes. out uh-huh. and like, help with like a bathroom run. If someone had to go to the bathroom or just like be there. And I, I do feel like I remember that happening. Like in second grade, I had this like top class and I remember that being a thing. Um, that is because we've had studio parents like that for every, and that was the obligation every week there had to be one parent or every class, there had to be one parent that would like stay for the entire class. And so it would be the same thing. Parents would just sign up, be like, Oh, I'll take this one. I'll take this one. You know, I've had that. Right. And that's, and that's honestly like not that bad. Um, so I used to babysit years ago for a family and the girl I babysat for, she was taking classes at uh, Bally Academy East in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. She was like six. And those classes still were, you know, she was six years old. So I think the classes were like generally 45 minutes. Um, and I would stay, I think like maybe a couple of times, like I would, so I would always wait, right? Like I would always like wait until the class got started. And once they were like into warm up, sometimes I would like jump downstairs and like get a coffee and then go back to the studio. Right. Um, but usually with the, again, with the younger classes, you mostly always saw parents or caregivers there, or sometimes they would do the same thing, like wait about to the first 15 minutes in, jump out, do whatever they needed to do. Yep. And then back with like still 10 minutes to go. 
Um, but I agree. I think especially for younger kids, like knowing your kid, knowing what the studio expects of you, or also you might have a situation where a studio is like, we don't want you to stay. And if you and your child are not comfortable with that, that's already maybe a sign that like that we should look into another space. And what I should bring up, because I know this particular happened in my household when we were younger, and I've seen it happen all the time. It's like, part of the reason that my parents are like, we'll be at every event, but like, we're not, we're not there on a regular basis. I have a sister that's four years older than me. I have a brother that's four years younger than me. Don't ask me how it happened, but it just, it is. We were down to the day. So we were all in activities all at the exact same time. And there was a very excruciating year where we had a high schooler, a middle schooler, and an elementary school kid. And my parents hated all of us during that year because literally none of these three schools and the activities that we were attached to were near each other. So it would literally be two of us could like stay at school. They pick the other one up from school, drop him off to start his practices, run, go pick up the other one and go drop off something for the PTA at this one. Like though, and this is why we bring up obligation. If you know you are an amazing mom of seven or eight or even two or even one, and you know you have other obligations in the afternoon. And so being at your studio, at your child's studio six days a week, or, you know, volunteering for this or things like that are something that you just can't give. Or maybe your job is very involved at night or you work nights or you work evenings, you know, or you're on call for your jobs. Like all those are things that you should take into account and just ask your studio because different studios have different obligations, you know. A lot of them are like, we're good. We don't need you around. Show up, make sure you pick them up on time, drop them off on time. But we got them because there, there are studios that I've worked for kids are dropped off at 10 a.m. and we literally there's like lunches at 12 30 and then pickup is at three o'clock either bring lunch for them or have lunch for them but we don't expect to see you and the kids are with us all day yeah. you know like going from class to class and things like that and we take care of everything between but then there are other studios that are like no we teach yeah. them and then you do everything else absolutely and i think that's just like a really good point to make so what are some other obligations um, cause you know, that one's like an obligation slash like a preference, but what are some other obligations when we say obligations? Cause I know of some, but what are you thinking of? Well, for me, it was like, I always think of like the obligation of like costume demands, uh, participation within concerts, ticket sellings and things like that. That, uh, that was always the things that like scared my parents away. And I can always, I've had other parents express that same anxiety to me of being like, I don't want to be obligated to sell tickets for our show. Like I just, like that surprise, like that really gets people very, like anxiety triggered, anxiety majorly triggered when they think of like of ob financial obligations or financial burdens. Um, like, I know that's something that a lot of parents don't like surprise obligations of financial burdens of like, if your studio is not being upfront with how much you need to pay for costuming, recitals, trips, any of those things upfront, like you should be able, like, and it should almost be like going into like Walmart or Target, like you should be able to walk in and know prices for things, whether your child's dancing there or not. Mm -hmm. Like that should be something that you can easily have discussed so that this doesn't become a financial burden to you or, you know, you feel, you know, I, I, that you, you, 
anxiety should not be brought up just because of paying for your child's studio because it's like oh there's a surprise $600 expense that comes up every spring but you've been with the studio since fall you should have known when you signed your kid up you know yeah absolutely those are kind of the major ones I think about yeah I also think about um yeah so the ticket sales like a huge thing because I um agree and some people may find, you know, may feel differently about this. They might feel like, oh, like whatever I can, you know, I can sell 50 tickets to, you know, all our family members and our neighbors and it's going to be fine. Right. But like, I know like my, my family, like the ticket thing was like a no, like we don't like have a ton of people we can sell tickets to. Um, and so I do agree, like that is one that happens. And I think it's like a good one to check, right? Like, am I going to be required to sell X amount of tickets so that my child can perform in the recital or they can have the costume or just because that's what the studio says I'm supposed to do? I don't know. I also think another obligation, which um, is, I don't think you see a lot, but I do think that it can occur primarily at heavy competition studios, even from a young age, the amount of classes required to be at that studio. As you get older, it is 100% normal to take three technique classes a week and then your comp class. Or the studio I grew up at, once I switched, um, my ballet studio was, you know, to to once you get on to point, you need to take two flat like normal ballet classes twice a week plus you would have your point class or if you wanted to be in the nutcracker you had to take a minimum of two ballet classes a week and then it went up from there right if you wanted to be part of the ballet ensemble or the jazz ensemble you needed to take you know two to three other classes a week but those are when you get older and there's things like performances involved competitions involved ensemble you know the the dance ensemble which is like the elite right as a little kid you should not be going into a studio with your three to seven year old and they saying like well there's a minimum of two classes a week or three classes a week oh god no so i think that that's like a big red flag to think of and again i don't hear about this a lot i don't see it a lot you know i also i also have some like I also have some old childhood friends who like run a dance studio. I know some, I know um, someone I used to work with, she runs a dance studio in New Jersey and that's a heavy competition studio. And I don't, you know, she doesn't do it, but I I think it's one of those, I think it's one of those things that the culture got broken. Like our generation broke that cultural trap because it was a major thing when we were younger. And I, I see less and less of it now, but I do still hear inklings of it. And I'm, I'm very much with you where like huge red flag goes off where yeah. I'm with you. Like you, once you make company, you're required to do, you know, companies required to do this amount of classes a week. But again, I'm, I'm talking to a teenager when I'm doing that, I'm talking to a teenager, but because yeah. a lot of times when they are at such a young developmental stage, you don't need the class really once a week yeah. to just I mean, get them even, familiar you know, with the culture. Right. I even have this conversation at work when sometimes they're like, oh, you'll have the class three times a week. I mean, we've had to do things differently this year because of COVID, but in non-COVID times, like I would be like, I don't need, like, it's sometimes it's nice to see them twice a week, but like, I don't need to see them for 45 or 50 minutes twice a week. You know, um, I, so, we get counterproductive. We start becoming right. counterproductive. At that is, again, and I agree. I don't see it a lot, but I definitely have seen it before and heard of studios who are like, oh yeah, off the bat, like 
you're supposed to, you know, you're required to sign your kid up for X amount of classes. Now, if you're like, hey, my kid is active, they love to dance, I want to put them in creative movement, but then also like tap, sure, by all means, like go for it. But if a studio is requiring you to sign up for a minimum of more than one class, um, at that age, at like three to seven, I just think like red flag. Developmentally, red flag. there's no there's no reason for them to have to be in that many classes. And what well, right? Because one, development developmentally, no, there just isn't. There there is no science to back that up. But also, secondly, like it takes time to learn the culture of dance if you are not a dance parent if you are not coming from this world so like even i say this with my own family like with my sister because of covid they reduced the class size down that my that my niece is taking to every tuesday tuesday they had the largest pool so they pulled everyone into that tuesday ballet class so and it was all online so it just worked out well when they start things started opening back up they moved the class back onto Saturdays. So like for my sister, she was like, great. Cause my sister's a teacher, uh, is an academic teacher. And so she was like, having it in the middle of the week was just not really working for us as a family, but having it Saturday morning, we wake up, go to the studio. Like that was perfectly fine. That's great. So like you yourself and your entire family adjusting to this culture takes time. So you, one class a week may be all your family can balance right now as your child learns to do a routine of something every week. And it may not seem like two classes is a big jump, but it is when that's coming straight from school or after school, heading straight into a dance class, even if it's, let's say it's only 30 minutes, getting to the studio, having class, getting out of the studio, getting home, getting homework done, getting bath and getting ready for a bit like your your afternoon is gone. Your afternoon yeah, is yeah. gone. <laughs> Take it from us that teach it. Your afternoon is gone. Absolutely. Your afternoon so, is gone. Speaking of culture, what do we mean when we say like you should look at and decide what the if if the culture of the studio is right for you and your child, um, yeah. or what studio in your sphere is the right culture for you and your child. So I'm a t- I'm a lightly touch on something because I think it's a part of culture, and we'll come back to it later. Is your studio a competition studio or not? Matters for culture. Yeah. But we will, we will address that more in a second. Um, the And this matters very much on the type of person you are as a parent and your child. I know some studios and some folks love it. They are old school ballet master studios. They are teaching with a stick. Your child is learning the French. There is no, there is discipline across the board. There is no, there is laughter in the hallways, but in class we are doing the damn thing and that is it. And it's a very tight structured situation. Some people love it. Some people, I, I like I know that I would have never succeeded as a child in that type of studio. Mm-hmm. And you have other studios that are very hippy dippy, loosey goosey, you know, that. And that's just like the surface level of the different types of cultures. You have the very like, you have the dance teachers that yell at their children. And some parents are okay with that because they believe that's how discipline should be and that's how structure it should be. Then you have other parents that don't like that voices are getting raised at all. Like even with the older kids, like there is a certain, the culture is how you feel 
about the studio when you walk in and how you feel about that studio when you talk about it when you're not there. Yeah. I think those would be the two strong points. I agree. I think that's huge. And I also think piggybacking off of that, it's, um, what do you notice? So how do you feel when you walk in? How do you feel when you leave? And what do you notice is happening while you're there, while you're waiting to pick up your kid or drop them off or you're watching their class? You know, are the other parents, how are they chatting with each other? Are they being catty? Are they judging kids through a window? How are the other kids talking about each other, even the young ones? you'll be able to spot it more quickly with the older kids, but even the young kids, like how are they talking about the oh, other kids? Young. Right? How are they talking, how when your kid walks into the studio and puts their bag down, do they have friends even if they're really shy or is it just like the group of girls in the corner who are giggling and they ignore your child, right? Um, and I- they handle that- crises would also yeah. be a very important one for, because I know a studio that I started dancing at and it was, we we told parents they couldn't come back because of this particular situation. We had a young um, Middle Eastern family that moved into the neighborhood and they signed their daughter up for dance, but she wears a hijab. And so they were like, she loves dance. We want her to dance. Our only thing, the hijab is not coming off. It will be secured so she can dance in it and it will never be a problem. She's used to dancing in it. She's used to sweating in it. So none of none of those things... You know, we have some lighter material ones. Like they were very, like sitting there, cause I taught her for jazz, but sitting on it and she was like all of seven. Oh, she's such a sweet girl. But like talking with her mom and dad, they had already made up in their mind. That they were going to do everything they can on their end to make this an enjoyable experience for her. And so the minute we put her in class with a bunch of predominantly white kids, but like not a fan. It was not a. It was not a community that was used to differences or diversity, I should say. And so there's a girl that's dancing with her job. We had several parents make some very underhanded comments that they didn't think would get back to the studio. Owner found out about it, and she was like, "You can pull your child today. We're not doing yeah. that." And that's like, the thing too is how you know if something is occurring. How are the teachers and um, specifically the owner handling that Mm -hmm. that was also something that like when I switched studios like the owner of my studio like she knew every single student by name which was wild it's very wild but like everyone by name she knew um a lot of facts about different people's families and she like of course as I got older there were moments of cattiness I think there always is as a girl as a teenager but in general there wasn't any like when I really sit here and I think about it there were moments like fleeting moments Mm -hmm. and that was it or you know as you got older it was like well these girls are better friends and then these girls are better friends right you just like you find your friend group but that's as you get older um but I never and and she and she was good about that though yeah like if she noticed something was happening or heard about something from a teacher she had no problem like mom came to drop a kid off and she'd be like oh hi mrs so-and-so like can you come with me for a minute let's have a discussion Yes. And I think that that matters because one, you hope that it's never your child, but you want to know that if something does happen with your child, you, the person, the teacher or the studio owner of whoever is in charge, because sometimes it's company leader or whomever, like, you know, that you can go to that other adult and be like, Hey, adult to adult, what is going on with the, the tiny yelling people? Like, and that is always something like, I look for that when I work at studios, let alone 
having my actual child there. Those things matter because you don't want it to be life happens, you know? So it could just be as simple as my child decided to get a short haircut and now they're all gossiping about a short haircut. Yeah. I've been there when that happens. Like little things like that, little catty moments like that. Like if you are the type of person that feeds into that, God bless you. But most parents don't want that kind of extraness when it comes to having their child in dance. But it's very important that you find that out about that studio. Early. And it might be something that it might, you know, unfortunately, like it might take a couple months or a year to figure out of putting your child in. Some of these things are veiled very easily. Yes. Um, But I do think it's something to keep your eye out for. Or if you have, you know, other people in your neighborhood, in the community, in your child's school whose kids go to that studio, great, you know, to ask them. Um, and also like as someone who switched studios for a couple of different reasons, it's also okay to switch. If you notice the culture is not what you really wanted for your child or your child's like dance experience, it is totally okay to go, you know what, this isn't working or this isn't working anymore. Right. It might be two, three years in and you might go, this isn't really working anymore for us. Like my child's not super happy here. Um, but I do think like. If it's possible to figure it out earlier, you're even better off from the get-go. And don't let your hesitation, or like Danielle said, your feelings and your child, again, we're talking about human beings that are constantly growing and changing quite rapidly, especially young children. If you reach that point where you're like, oh, it's not working anymore, don't feel bad about needing to switch or wanting to switch. It's perfectly okay. Because that brings us to another point that like I said, competition studios versus non-competition studios and ballet studios versus non-ballet studios. I've seen it plenty of times where kids are started a certain studio and they go, oh, my kid's actually not taking this as seriously. I don't want them to be a part of competition because they're playing soccer, softball in the spring. You know, like we're good for the fall to do just dance, but like in the spring, we only hit like one class a month because they're doing mostly soccer and softball. That is perfectly fine. And there are tons of studios that are like, oh my God, great. All of our kids play all the other things. You might find some parents in our studios that do the exact same thing. So we have classes that are like once a week or like we have a drop-in class that like when you show up, we learn it, you know, they can still do like one number in the recital at the end of the year or whatever. But like, we're totally flexible because most of our kids do that. Find that studio. Do not be deterred by the... I feel like there are more studios that shy away from this, but understand that there are plenty of studios out there that are totally like, we get it. Kids want to do multiple things. Go for it. Or you might be in the reverse where you're like, I see my child. They eat, sleep, and breathe this. Maybe we should try a competition studio or, you know, this studio isn't as intense as we would like, or we feel like my child is developing faster than the kids in her class. And I want something more intense. You might need to switch, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely think so, though. Because, yeah, because I just, competition studios are a very, one, more financial obligations, more in-person obligations, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is, again, we're also talking towards like seven or eight, because that's usually when we start emerging into competition. I do see them younger. You just have to Well, and again, don't love that because your gross motor skills aren't fully developed. Don't love it. 
don't love it at all, but I've definitely, I've definitely judged a competition of five-year-olds. And I think, you know, this is going to sound, um, this is going to sound kind of funny, but like, if you've ever watched an episode of Dance Moms or seen a clip or know about it, that's real. Like, I understand that probably some of it was produced a little bit with the parents or the kids. Right? <laughs> of course, it's TV. It was probably yes. produced a little bit. But also, like, as someone who was in a who was in a competition studio from three to nine or ten, and um, also just as like worked with plenty of kids who come from competition studios, like that stuff's real, right? That like I that attitude is very rip real. Kids apart vocally. Yeah, and so um, yeah, I think all of these things are just great things to think about and research and talk to people about in your community. Your your child's school community, your neighborhood, um, or anyone else you can think of to get their opinion on a studio. And it's also, like you have to find the right kind of fit for you and your kid. Like I know in recent times, like ballet is not at the forefront because of all the popularity of dance shows. So I've ended up at a lot of studios over the last couple of years because a lot more parents are like, oh, I want my child to take hip hop. And so studios are finding hip hop teachers to come in and take uh, take hip hop and they don't want their kid to take anything else because they don't care about anything else. Or I've got some parents like, oh, they're only going to take ballet or, you know, they're really into contemporary and modern or they really love ballroom. We're going to have them do ballroom. Like it is important that you aren't just like throwing anything up against the wall and seeds with sticks unless you know that's what you want like sometimes you may find that like and i've had this happen before one of my girls really loved ballet but when they got old enough to the group of girls that she was with when they got old enough to start taking jazz the girl most of the girls flocked to jazz but she was not loving it she really wanted ballet and she really wanted to go start taking point and go in that direction so she had to kind of like branch off from her core friend group because they wanted to take a different set of classes for her, you know, but again, she's actually in like, was she at San Francisco? She was at one of the big companies, like as, as a, uh, an apprentice or something or other, but like, she's happy. But like, it's one of those things of like, you're dealing with a human being that's growing and changing. Their studio might have to grow and change with them. Yeah. Or the classes they take might have to grow and change with them. Absolutely. Speaking of classes, um, another point I want to bring up and probably one of our final points is when you're putting your young dancer, your young child in dance, what are the types of classes you should be looking for? Again, you kind of just touched upon this and things might ebb and flow, but you know, like, do you want to put them in the studio or the program that does only creative movement? Do you want them to take a combo class, jazz tap, you know, ballet tap? Do you want them to have just full ballet? Like there are so, and again, a lot of this is preference. A lot of it is preference. But what's your opinion, Tony? And then also like, what do you, I guess, um, well, okay. So we'll go to your opinion, but that is also, I'll finish my point as I thought of it. Um, that's also something that you can research and talk to the studio owners and the teachers and people who go there about is, especially with those younger dancers creative movement is okay to start i i don't love it and this again i did not start young i started in high school dancing in high school i 
I don't particularly love creative movement because I don't think it transfers into other dance styles well. Mm-hmm. That is why it's not my first choice because having taught and seen people and been in training with people that do teach younger kids, I say give them a style, ballet, modern, hip hop, whatever, jazz, even a combo class, those are fine because there's the element of structure there and the teacher can decide how far structure we need to be today or how far wild we need to be today. You know, because I often, like I think of me when I teach uh, baby ballet, yes, we're teaching tendus, but like at some point, all my students, everyone ever, they know if I'm teaching baby ballet or even like 10 and under, I really do this way. We do penny wars where I, I literally, we have a studio, we have a giant like bucket full of pennies we bring them in and we put pennies under big toes and we teach them how to shoot them across the mm-hmm. floor with their tondus. So that's what penny wars. And I would say penny wars. So that's how we teach kids to launch, like tondus and we can turn into frappes and all kind of like crazier things later. But like once we introduce penny wars, it becomes a huge thing that like when we're fun or we need a fun game to play, technique wise, we're learning to strengthen our tondus and our legs. And I can go through that whole process, but to the kids, it's just a game, but I, as a teacher can decide how much we need, how much structure we need or how to sneak in structure when need be and creative movement. A lot of the times it feels too unstructured and loose for me, but I do, I do understand why a lot of studios do start their three-year-olds their four-year-olds or two-year-olds in creative movement, just so they can kind of teach them whatever and not really, and give them room to develop and grow on their own. Uh, but I just, I say, put them under a style, put yeah. them under a style. It'll, it'll transfer better later if they, even if they just go from three to five and they stop at five, it will transfer better later when they start yeah. getting older. What about you? Um, I agree. So I, I totally get the idea. I totally understand the idea of doing creative movement, especially for those like three, four year old classes, maybe like three to five, because your gross motor skills are not fully developed. It makes sense. However, me as the, as a dance teacher, I do not love creative movement classes because I feel like I have nothing to do. Like, I feel like, okay, I can like come up with an idea or a game to do for like 10, 15 minutes. And then I'm like, what the hell else am I going to do for the next, you know, like 30, 40 minutes? Or if it's a half hour class, even like the next 20 minutes, right? Or the next 15, like half the class, I have nothing to do. I, but I get it. I know some, I understand the rationale behind some studios doing it. I get it, especially maybe if your child is not as um, coordinated earlier on and you can tell it's going to take them a little more time to look to develop their full gross motor skills. Creative movement might be a great way to just get them used to working in a team, used to following you know certain directions and moving yeah. their body. Um, however, yeah. I do agree with you, Tony, that I love. So I started in a combo class. It was ballet and tap. Um, and I, I don't, I think it was probably like half an hour, right? Like 15 minutes and 15 minutes or something like that. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, but I think that doing like the games things are, is more productive. So the thing, like you said, the penny wars, right. Or even stuff like I currently do with my 
um, kindergartners and even some of my first graders are like exactly like we're learning a technique, but you make it fun, right? You give them a prop to use or you give them like a little challenge to do. And so exactly like you said, they think it's a game and they're having fun with it, but they're actually learning technique and you're starting to build their muscles and their muscle memory and yes. all of that as they're participating in some sort of a game. Um, something else I also witnessed back to when I used to babysit, um, and I would spend a lot of time at Ballet Academy East because this girl I babysat for would take class like twice a week. She, her early classes, you know, Ballet Academy East like only does ballet. So it was ballet, but for those super younger kids, it was like the first half of class was, was more like technique. Like we, they would do like a ballet warm up and stretching mm -hmm. and plies. And then the second half of class, they would get out props and they would do fun like, okay, let's practice how to march on our tippy toes. You can hold this prop, hold this stuffed animal or this yes, flower. Yes. Or, you know, like we're going to practice our arms in second position. So here's two scarfs and you swing them up and you swing them out. You swing them up. Yep. So it's like they're really learning the intricate little technical details, but having fun with these props. I think that I agree with you. I think that those are personally the better class because your child's getting technique. They're developing a lot of functional capabilities muscle memory, muscle mass on their actual physical body, but they're able to have fun because you throw in those things that make sense to them as a young child. And you're go you're going in a direction. Cause I so yeah. I didn't I never really I guess you could do it with scarves. The teaching porta broad at little kids. I would always use swords or light lightsabers. Yeah. My boys would love that. We would do porta bra with the lightsabers in the dark. Yes. So like glowing. So like there aren't they learn it because it's like it's, it would be like, what are your fighting stances? And then, you know, they get older and be like, oh my God, I hate you because now I want to do it with lightsabers, but they know they're portable on their sleep, you know? So like, it's, I, I think when it's, when you know where you're going, even if I choose to veer left, I know where I'm going. So that's why I just can't. I can't yeah. And even if you, next. you know, your child does dance when they're super young and then they decide they're not interested in it anymore. Um, and they don't want to continue with it, those skills will still help them. It'll help them because they've already started to develop coordination skills, um, listening and discipline skills, visceral learning skills, all of that stuff where, again, creative movements have has its benefits. I personally, um, as a dance educator, A, as a teacher, it, having the direction of where class is going is way easier for me to teach and more fun. And I can connect with the kids and I have a trajectory and B, I just think it's better for the kids personally. So what I, my final thoughts on when it comes to finding a studio for younger kids, know what you want or know what you don't want mm -hmm. and do not be afraid of being upfront and honest with your studios when you're asking questions because better you find out now than you get six months in. Yeah. And if you do end up six months in and realize, or two years in, whenever you realize that it's not working anymore, it's okay to leave. Because yeah. the last thing you want is to be there when something's not right or to stay longer than you need to. And your child's passion is killed for the subject. Yeah. That's like, and that's my biggest thing. And I, and I have, a girl I danced with in college, she talked about the stretching, which I think we talked about in an episode. It was old, the old school where they forced you into your splits and things like yeah. that. And she was like, 
I, she was like, I love my training deeply. She's like, but like they tore my body. She's like, I lost my love for dance world because my body hurts so bad. Yeah. From what they were doing. And so like, you don't want your child to lose the passion for it just because this studio is not right. There are yeah. other options out there. I promise you there are other options out there. There are. And um, yeah, like I think about like, I don't like really stay in touch necessarily with any of the girls I grew up dancing with. However, I stay in touch enough that like one time I was at like a yoga class in Manhattan and ran into a girl that we grew up dancing together. And we were like, oh my God. And we like hung out. One time I was on the train and I ran into a girl that I grew up taking all my classes with. And so like, we still have those connections of like, yeah, we grew apart after high school. We didn't stay in touch. Um, but if we run into each other, it's like, Hey, what's up? How are you? Let's get a drink. Let's catch up. And I think like that just goes to show the culture of the studio that I grew it grew up in, how we can still connect like that years and years and years later. And then also, um, I just have like super fond memories of like great, again, like, of course there were moments of like, especially as I got older and was a teenager moments of cattiness. But in general, I have these amazing memories of just like, friends and laughing and dance classes and um I one of my dance teachers I grew up with um she is a faculty member at Broadway Dance Center and I like we'll still we took her, her we took her class yeah yeah we took her class and I'll still go take her class and she's like Danielle how are you and like those are the types of connections that I think especially if you continue in dance the mm-hmm. right studio can foster this amazing community and if you don't continue in dance um even like as a teenager, say you do it in elementary school and then you want to give it up or your child, you know, your child wants to, or middle school to high school, whatever it may be, they could still have this, like they were able to make friends, create connections, have good memories. Um, So I agree. Yeah. Well, that brings us to our tip of the week. Um, I'm going to keep mine short and sweet. It's coming up on summer. Enjoy yourselves, guys. Be safe. Absolutely be safe. But like after the year that was 2020 and after the school year, me and Danielle were talking about this prior to recording, like after the school year that her and I have both had, it's been a very long school year that has just finished up or is about to wrap up for a lot of us. Like you enjoy a summer of relaxation and fun and being outside and seeing the people that you love. So enjoy your summer. Enjoy your summer. You know, last year at the end of the year, everyone was like, you guys did the impossible, right? You went remote at a moment's notice. But honestly, this year, this year, y'all, we did the impossible. The studio teachers, the program teachers, the after-school teachers, the in-school teachers, like all of y'all who consider yourself an educator, like we have done the impossible. This school year was harder than the other one. Moving from remote to in-person or hybrid or back and forth or whatever it was. So I agree. Enjoy your summer as the educator. Rest, relax, take class for yourself, stretch, don't take class for yourself, and just get ready to have like an awesome kick-ass, you know, like studios run on a school year. So an awesome kick-ass like 2021 to 2022 year. And with pretty much, I think like every school reopening at I don't know, 75 to 100% capacity. We're going to be jumping back in. Competitions are going to be back. Shows are going to be back. Get hyped, get excited, and use this time to rest. 
Well, that's it for us. The curtain has closed on this episode, but we hope that you will join us next week. And every week after that. Episodes come out every Thursday. You can find us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We are at Point PYT on all social media platforms. I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. And I'm your co-host, Neil Colangelo. See you next week on Point Your Toes, the Adventures of an NYC Dance Team.